0: total soccer show where today we're going to preview the euro 2020 final and we're going to present our best 11s of euro 2020 and yes if everyone doesn't pick raheem sterling we're gonna riot my name is ryan bailey and joining me today is a man who'd never argue about a coin toss with giorgio chiellini it's taylor rockwell
1: I never would. I'd be too busy being like hugged and lifted aloft and then sort of doubting my own level of confidence, and then he would have already won. That's how crafty he is, Ryan. That's how crafty he is. I think he might be the banter king, Taylor. Is he the banter king? I mean, it was not the person that I expected it to be in this tournament, but yes, he does seem to, to have won that one. <laughs> <laughs> he certainly does play play <laughs>
0: and do other things on the field with a smile on his face, and it's quite disconcerting. Uh, anyway, the voice you just heard is a man joining us from Glasgow whose lookalikes include Rui Faria and Jim Jeffries. It's Graham Rubin.
2: <laughs> I mean, Jim Jeffries to me as a, as a Scottish football fan means Jim Jeffries, the Scottish football manager who's managed Hearts and a number of other clubs up here. And if you Googled him, I'm quite glad that I, that you're saying I don't look like him because he's a, he's a man who has a bus pass. I'm not um, saying that. So I'm, I'm, I'll, I am will take Jim <laughs> Jeffries, the comedian. Uh, and who was the other one you said? Rui Faria. Oh, yeah, Ray Freer, yeah, the, the, the Jose Mourinho's assistant, which is now your job. <laughs> he is very, he, I think he really
0: looks like you, Ray Freer, properly. Do you get that one?
2: I used to get Graham Lasso a while ago. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. I could see that. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. Do you like antiques, Graham? Antiques? He likes, he likes um, upper class things like antiques and he's sophisticated, is Graham Lasso?
2: All oh, right. Is that a well known thing about him or just an assumption you're making?
0: That's something he used to get mocked for in the Chelsea dressing room because they were all like lager louts and he was, oh, he was the a guy so he who liked was, to he's read a bit the like Telegraph.
2: A, He's a bit like a Southgate then. That's what they say about yeah. Southgate. Yeah. He's a bit more educated than the lager louts yeah. like you. <laughs> <laughs> I think the
1: most important thing we, we should all take away from this is that uh, Graham Ruthven was definitely unequivocally named after Graham Lasseau and we should just uh, spread that around and
2: let everybody know that.
0: <laughs> yep. Timelines match up there, just yep. about. Yep. Have you ever had any fights mm-hmm. with Perfect. your own teammates on the field, Graham?
2: No, but apparently my parents were big uh, fans of fairly mediocre Chelsea defenders. So, uh... <laughs> Very well, at least you weren't called John.
0: Also here is the man who's counting down the days to the latest
3: series of All or Nothing featuring Arsenal, Joe Lowry. Oh, I'm so not. Like, I'm so, so, so not. <laughs> Um, I I do like the behind the scenes looks. I watched some of Sunderland until I die. I watched some of the Juventus Netflix one. Wasn't that a thing? And then Man City had had one. I just it's hard for me to stick with it. I don't know. Maybe it's because I already know what happens at the end. There's not a lot of suspense. But uh, yeah, Arsenal. You know, go you Arsenal. You must have I hated guess. the Titanic then. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah.
0: Yeah, you went into that theater to see Apollo 13. Like I, I don't need to know. I'm just
3: really I'm just know. like not. I'm just not a movie guy. Like, I don't really enjoy movies. And Ryan, I know you just are gonna have a field day with that, but uh, it is true.
2: Who oh, are you, Michael Owen? <laughs>
3: <laughs> right, Joe. Yes, yeah, Joe. How many Joe, movies explain you yourself. Seen. Yeah. Come on, how many movies has you seen in total? And don't uh, count mostly... that night because you saw half of it. <laughs> the Incredibles, the Incredibles. No, I mean, uh, <laughs> I'm a big. I enjoy Pixar movies. I guess I'm. I don't know. I, maybe I'm childish in that way. I, I've seen plenty of movies. It's not like I don't watch movies. It's just that I'd rather watch. A TV show. I'd rather, I don't know, listen to a podcast or read a book. I don't know what's wrong with me, guys. Help me. Send help.
0: Well, um, you probably don't want to watch All or Nothing Arsenal because we know how that ends too. You know, strong start, finish eighth. That's probably uh, (laughs) how it's going to go. We can predict that one. I I thought of you, Joe, by the way, on my flight over to the UK on Tuesday evening, uh, looking through the movies I could watch. I watched The Dark Knight, in fact, and it's two and a half hours long because I thought, when else am I going to have two and a half hours to watch a movie? One peculiar thing, and it reminds me, actually, of Giorgio Chiellini's Sinister Smile because the Joker is in that one, of course. Um, And the scene where um, uh, the Joker blows up the hospital uh, he not only wears a mask, but he uses hand sanitizer at the same time as well. And that movie was made in 2008. And I thought, oh, he's jumping ahead to the future there. Christopher Nolan, future predictor.
1: <laughs> you know, he also improvised that scene, which is one of like my favorite parts of that movie.
0: Oh, what? when he's trying to get the, the, the detonator to go off? Yeah. Yeah, because I was thinking about that because that looked like a really expensive stunt. And he does it so well that he only gets one shot right? of that, I'm presuming. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and then I think they just kept rolling and it worked out. But that's some good stuff. He's a good actor. He was a good actor, I should say.
0: He was indeed. He was indeed. And a very good movie, Joe. If you ever feel like watching the other half of that, um, let us know. Maybe we'll do a podcast about it.
1: Joe just says the Incredibles on a loop. That's that's how he's rolling right now. Yep. Very
2: true.
0: Anyway, we should probably talk about some soccer. We have a big game coming up on Sunday evening. It's England against Italy. The Euro 2020 final, gentlemen. I'm nervous about this one. Joe, let's come to you first. How nervous should I be? I'm thinking that uh, I'm I'm quite worried about the Italian midfield. You've got Jorginho in the middle, you've got Borelli, you've got Verratti. I'm worried about how defensive England are going to be. Maybe those um, two defensive midfielders are going to get pushed back and pinned back rather a lot by the Italians. Should I be worried about that?
3: I think you should be worried. I think I think England in general should be worried by this game, but I don't think you should be panicked. I think Italy has deserved, they, they deserve to be favorites in this game, but England have every chance to win. Ryan, you're zeroing in on the midfield there, and I think that is one of Italy's strengths. But England, the way they approach games, not even specifically with their central midfielders, we're we're assuming it's going to be Declan Rice and Calvin Phillips and Mason Mount in those central spaces. But England as a whole, even zooming out and looking at them in a macro way, They are just a defensive team, and I think that really does set them up pretty well for this game. Italy are likely going to be the protagonist. I think both teams will have time on the ball. England will have some possession. Italy will have some possession. They'll both build up a little bit. They'll both press a little bit. And so all of those things will be generally similar. There'll be differences in how they do those things. But England, we've talked about it all tournament long. They are tactically conservative. For the talent they have, they are maybe the most tactically conservative team in this tournament. Maybe that's France, maybe it's Portugal, it doesn't matter. They're certainly the more tactically conservative team in this game. Italy will leave their center backs exposed. England won't really. They'll use their entire outfield 10 <clears throat> to defend. And even when they have the ball, they're ready to defend. They have their their back four tight and compact. And maybe Luke Shaw will get forward a little bit on that left side. Maybe he'll stay back. It depends on the moment. It's very situational. But England have the defensive chops to withstand pressure from Italy's midfield, to withstand pressure from that front line and Emerson overlapping on the left and Insigne tucking inside. England are maybe the strongest defensive team in this tournament, and they're going to need to be on Sunday. But I think I think, they can, I think they can hang in this one, Ryan. Ooh, I like the sound of that. Taylor Rockingwell,
0: um, <laughs> it seems pretty likely that Italy will come out in a 4-3-3. Any mm-hmm. reason to believe England won't do the 4-2-3 one and go with the back three like they did in their opener?
1: I have a feeling they stick with with what got them here. Uh, they did change it up against Germany. I, I went back and like reread my notes, looked at a little bit of the footage from that game, and Italy just aren't Germany. And even Italy sort of end up staying in a back four that becomes a back three, depending on how they want to use Emerson because they don't have spinazola. So I think England sticking with the thing that they are most comfortable with makes a lot of sense. And Graham, I know you wrote an article sort of to this point that England— sort of have, like, I wouldn't say ridden their luck. I just think they've been, to Joe's point, kind of conservative. You could make the argument of dull, but I think the reason for that is because that's what allows them to play the way they have, which is very sort of measured. There's not a lot of improvisation, but that means you're not having to scramble and figure things out on the fly. They have a very strong defensive base that they can then build out from and attack from, but it means they're not going to really roll the dice, I think. You're not going to see a crazy tactical gambit. I think it's going to be pretty much what we expect and then trying to find a way through italy or hoping that italy pushed too many forward or maybe they press a little bit too high and get caught on the counter but i think we will see that back four uh that's my guess at least
0: graham um let's talk about the key men for italy who are the standouts for you um uh, taylor mentioning Spinozola being absent there he seems like he's yeah. going to be a big miss uh, particularly with that right flank with walker and maybe sacca on the same side there who, who's who's going to be the important men for italy
2: Well, I think for Italy, you look at the the midfield three, obviously, uh, Barella, uh, Jorginho and, and, and Verratti. Spinazzola would have been, I would say, the most key of key men before he 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 got injured, obviously in that quarterfinal game against Belgium. I had to think there. Um, Emerson Palmieri did a did a decent job in the semi final, but he he just doesn't he doesn't have the same ability. He doesn't have the same intensity of running. Um, and a, a couple of good chances came from him getting high up the pitch. So it's certainly something that Mancini will 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 still look to do in this game. But just in terms of individual execution, he doesn't do that job as as well as. Vinicius Zola um, but actually, I think a key area, if I can pivot it slightly towards an area rather than a, a, a figure in particular, I think it will be kind of on Kyle Walker's side because um, both Ukraine and Denmark have used long balls through the middle to unsettle the England defence a little bit, and Denmark didn't really have much success with it. They tried it in, in the first um, maybe 20, 25 minutes and, and kind of abandoned that approach a little bit because because Kyle Walker was just snuffling them out a little bit with the, with their pace. Ukraine had a little bit more success and they actually created a, a couple chances um through that that method and that is how Italy if you look at the the kind of heat map of where their chance creation is over the course of the whole tournament it's very much in the Kyle Walker position that if, on the atta- on the attacking side of the ball it's the left corner of the opposition box if you know mm-hmm. where i am and and so i do wonder um whether Italy are going to have much joy against Walker is it's very much down to the individual quality of Walker because I don't feel like the system necessarily helps England stop chances there it's just that Kyle Walker is probably the best in world football at, at tracking back at pace and, and covering that area so I think that's going to be a, a key area and I, I do wonder if there's a tactical curveball in this match I do wonder if it might be in this might be a, a long shot but I, and maybe Berardi coming in for Immobili rather than for Chiesa. I know Chiesa is a is a an injury doubt. I think this is more likely to be something that Mancini tries in the second half if it's not going Italy's way. To be honest, but I just think he tried that in the late uh, laterally in the gate in the semi final against Spain, and I, and I think with the way Italy might shape up to try and hit. England in those areas it might be better to have someone like Berardi on but he probably doesn't want to sacrifice having someone as good as as Chiesa so just something maybe to watch out for there
0: well Graham you mentioned the Kyle Walker area of the field um does that dictate maybe the player who's going to be playing in front of him? That's probably the one the one position we're not sure about with England where I, I suggested maybe it's Saka who, you know, can track back, who yeah. maybe has the pace to de- de- deal with with players who are getting back into the Kyle Walker zone, if you will. Does that make it Saka a likely candidate over someone like Sancho or Foden for that position?
2: Yeah I think it does And I would agree with Taylor I don't think The one question for me Is the centre midfield Which um, you know The two guys before me Have have already identified Um, I I don't expect that that, um, Southgate will do this But if there is a change It might be for It might be Henderson For Mount To kind of shore up The centre midfield I don't Mm -hmm. think he'll do that But I'm just trying to Suggest scenarios I, I don't think Saka Comes out of this team Just because of the balance he brings to the attack, he's a little bit of unpredictability, he stretches the pitch, and as you mentioned, crucially, Ryan, he he, he covers a little bit better, and he'll help out in the walker zone, as we're now calling it. The and I think thing.
1: Tifo did a really nice tactical uh, preview of this one. One of the points that they made that I, that I definitely agree with is the idea that if you go with that back three, as we've seen in this tournament so often, it readily becomes a back five, and that if England go with the shape that they would then most likely be in, it's sort of like a three, two, five. And that does leave so much potential space for Insigne to operate and, and midfield overloads that I think they'll want to keep numbers central If en- and, if anything, have Harry Kane drop in and ideally create a 4v3 mismatch for England's favor. And so I don't think that they will ever want to kind of lose those numbers. So to Graham's point, the only way I think it makes sense is then to drop an attacker at another central midfielder. And then he gets all the more criticized for taking off a creative player and bringing on a sort of, quote unquote, dull central midfielder. But also that would be a fairly practical thing to do at the same time.
0: Mm. Joe, um, if we're talking about the Kyle Walker zone, perhaps we should talk conversely about the Lorenzo zone, the opposite <laughs> corner of the field, because. Certainly, for at least a Denmark game and many others, it's been Sterling and Shaw on that side causing the most trouble. I haven't seen the heat map, but I presume that's where most of England's attacks have come. So that's going to be a key
3: area of the field for Italy to defend and England to uh, attack. Absolutely, yeah. I think really, I think for Italy, there's there's the potential to find joy on on both sides, but zeroing in or, or for England, excuse me, rather, there's potential for them to find joy on both sides, attacking down the wings for Italy to defend on. On Italy's left, England's right side, if it is Saka and and Walker on that side, you figure there's going to be gaps because Emerson does push forward. Whoever's playing that left back really does shift and almost become a left winger in possession as Insigne tucks inside. And so then if both of those players are high, you have a chance to run maybe... 1v1, maybe 2v1 at Chiellini as Chiellini shifts over to become more of a left center back in possession, shifting into that back three. So there's an opportunity for Saka likely to get down that side and Walker maybe to overlap, even though, as I said before, England's fullbacks tend to stay more connected to the center backs than they do to anybody else on the field. Then on the other side for England, looking at England's left, Italy's right, yeah, there's absolutely a chance for, for Sterling especially to be able to break down that side. Maybe Shaw to make an occasional run forward and create a 2v1 because Italy Italy are in that back three. And so there's opportunities to overload the outside central defenders in that temporary situational back three. And Raheem Sterling has been one of the best players in this entire tournament. He's, he's on my team of the tournament that we'll talk about later. I'm sure he's on several others Good. as well. He is just – he's dynamic. He is so – So good at finding the right spaces to be in, so good at driving the ball forward. He has consistently been England's best attacking player in this tournament. And if Harry Kane can drop in and play that playmaker role that I think he did really well against Denmark, that could free up Raheem Sterling to make more runs in behind or to get on the ball and drive it forward. There's a lot of potential for Sterling, especially I think in England, for England in this game, to really cause some problems for the Italians. And Joe, you mentioned there Harry Kane dropping in. You also mentioned
0: earlier that um, the Italian centre-backs might be exposed in this game. What do you make of the potential battle with Chiellini, Benucci, and Kane,
3: the three men who
0: may move the slowest on the field?
3: <laughs> and I even, I even, Ryan, for that battle, I want to toss Jorginho in there as well okay. because against Spain, they had Olmo play that false nine and then Alvaro Morata came on and did a, a roughly similar thing or at least he did some of the same things that that Olmo did and that Harry Kane did against Denmark where that number nine the highest central attacking player drops down in possession we've seen it for years now at the international level and the club level as well but I'm really curious to see how Italy deal with Harry Kane dropping do they have Jorginho track him do they How do they deal with those overloads? Do one of the center backs, Banucci or Chiellini, step forward, then you have extra space in behind. I think England did a good job, not a Spain-level job, of creating opportunities with that nine dropping in, but they did a good job doing that against Denmark. I thought that was Harry Kane's best game of the tournament, or maybe second best, but a really good performance from him. I don't think England will be able to do it as effectively as Spain did. And and granted, Spain only scored one goal in that in that game in the semifinals. But still, that is absolutely an area to watch. And I think whoever wins that battle, if Italy limit Harry Kane, that's going to serve them very, very well. And if England are able to create chances from Kane dropping in, getting between the lines and turning and playmaking, that's going to serve them very, very well.
1: Joe, I'm I'm of the same mind as you, and I do think that will be an opportunity for England because I think going back to the Belgium game for Italy, they were very focused. Those two centre backs, Kielin and Bonucci, on hassling Romelu Lukaku at every point they could. Be that like with him trying to stretch the line or with him dropping in, somebody was hassling him, somebody was tracking him. But that does open up space for those those runs in behind from Raheem Sterling. Uh, and, and I think that would be a thing that England could try to kind of focus in on, is pulling out Benucci and maybe having somebody sit in so Luke Shaw can push forward and then Italy are pinned back and then you have space for Raheem Sterling. I think that will be one of the more important things is how Italy track Harry Kane so there aren't those midfield overloads, but simultaneously don't leave gaps behind because, as we've already kind of hit upon... They're not the most fleet of foot, especially centrally, so and I think the American commentators have told us time and time again that Jorginho the way they've built it is that he can like barely move is how unathletic <laughs> he apparently is. So uh how how they handle that one, I'm gonna be very interested to see. Indeed.
0: Graham, um generally speaking in this game, do you see it as a tight, tense match, uh you know, a nil nil into extra time or a little bit more open than that?
2: Do you remember Germany's 7-1 mauling of Brazil at the 2018 World Cup? Oh, Um, I do. I
0: was in Rio. It wasn't a fun time.
2: No, when it felt like the spirit of a whole nation was breaking as as they were crushed on their own pitch in front of their own fans and it got to the point where there was like an audible atmosphere of grief I don't know where young, the sense is going by the way where young and old supporters alike were given an experience so painful that it would linger for a generation instilling an <laughs> inferiority <laughs> complex in the mind of everyone associated with the team that would plague, plague them for years to come do you remember that kind of game? Make that's point, basically Grim. what I want Italy to do to England on Sunday <laughs>
3: Grim, that was incredible Holy cow! <laughs> How you doing, Ryan?
0: So, so not tight and tense then, Graham?
3: <laughs> no, I mean, if I'm
2: giving a serious opinion, uh, it, I think I do anticipate a tight and tense game. But I'm holding like, out hope for uh, for my first choice, <laughs> uh, R- Ryan.
1: Let me let me make your life worse then, because I think oh. there's a co- there's a couple different scenarios in terms of how this game plays out, and I think one of them is sort of what Graham just mentioned, because I I go back to that uh, England-Germany game, and part of the reason why I don't think that they'll change their shape is because they had so much difficulty completing passes, and even when they would press, it was really disjointed, and there was more arguing than we've seen between the players of who was supposed to be where, and you'd see Raheem Sterling press and then turn and yell at everybody, and Harry Kane would step, but other people wouldn't follow, and, and it looked pretty disjointed. And I think if Italy can make England uncomfortable and force them back and sort of overwhelm them with that high-tempo counterpress and not let them get into any sort of rhythm... I think if England can get out of the first 15 minutes, and even if they're looking dominant, that's great, but if they cannot concede and find their way back into this game, I do think the longer it goes on, the more likely it is that England get a result. But getting through those first 15 minutes without conceding a goal is going to be, I think, number one thing for England because Italy will be so aggressive from the jump.
0: Oh, boy. Joe, I'm going to rephrase the question I asked you first off. Uh, Am I going to need hugs?
3: Um, I mean, I think we can always use a hug, maybe Graham uh, aside. I, I still, I'm not I'm not terribly worried about England in this game. I think it's going to be very competitive. Uh, can I see Italy winning? Absolutely. I, I think they are favored, as I said before. But I, I would be very surprised if this game goes off the rails and England are down multiple goals at, at really any point in this one. All right. Um, should we do some predictions? Any Or, or is there any more
0: um, things to watch out for, Taylor? What do you got?
1: Um, I would say that Italy, I think two of their three goals have come from set pieces, one of which was, or goals against have come from set pieces, one of which was a penalty, so maybe chalking that one off, but they have conceded one off a corner and have looked vulnerable there at times, and I have seen Harry Kane doing a lot individually but also the team seems designed to get him open for headers and one of my specific predictions for this one was uh, a Harry Kane or excuse me a Harry Maguire uh, headed goal off of a corner but then also there will be England failing to clear the first defender on a corner at the same time maybe not the same play but you'll see both of those things off corners that's my guess
0: Maguire has done the old header from a corner thing already mm-hmm. at this tournament, Taylor. I like that. I like where your head is at there, uh, Graham. Anything more to watch out for or a prediction for this one?
2: Um, just the the well prediction. I I, I think my head says two one Italy. Um, not my heart. Certainly not my heart. But I'll say my gut just has a feeling about England. I, sometimes you just get this little feeling. It, I would compare it to like. When it felt like Liverpool were gonna win the Premier League title, or for on a personal level, like when Andy Murray won Wimbledon, you just kind of knew it was happening. And I, I just have this, as a Scot, have this horrible feeling that it's just kind of meant to be for England. Like it's at Wembley, and and you know, just feels like things have fallen into place. But one thing that I'm gonna look out for is uh, whether England fans boo the Italian national anthem because oh. you can't boo that national anthem. It's literally the greatest national anthem in the whole world. I, I won't stand for it.
0: They'll start booing, and then they'll realize, wait, this is a jam, and they'll start clapping and singing. <laughs> maybe that's
2: what's going to happen. Yeah, yeah that's should, definitely
1: what's going to happen. We should point out, because uh, I'm not sure we gave him proper credit, that Graham did predict both the scoreline and the overall way that Denmark-England would play out. So maybe we should listen to Graham's predictions. <laughs> with the home advantage, though, uh, uh, Ryan, I, I, I will ask you this one, since you are far more familiar with England playing at Wembley than I. Like, is there... A potential for that to be a problem as much as it is a potential strength, that if England need that crowd to kind of cheer them on and pick them up, obviously they have the home support. But simultaneously, I believe against Scotland, we they were booed at halftime for not looking sharper and not looking better. Can you see a scenario in which the fans do sort of turn on them if it's not going their way? Or do you think because it's a final, because of history being on the line, it will be a unified stadium no matter what?
0: I wouldn't put it past them, Taylor, because of that booing you mentioned there, and at the new Wembley Stadium, what was that since 2006-ish? Uh, there has been a history of that kind of thing happening. But just listening to surely the Gareth
2: Surely South- not. Surely not. <laughs> like honestly, like in a final, like you, I, I, yeah. I, I think in a group stage, this the dynamics a little different, particularly against Scotland, where like you're expected to beat us convincingly. Yeah. I, I just, I just think if, it, and it, 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 I'm sorry to like talk over you, Ryan, because obviously you'll you'll have a better insight as you know as as an England fan. But I, I just think if England are, are in trouble, I, I, I just feel like Wembley will actually get behind them. Yep. That's just what I think.
0: You have pivoted to where I was going precisely, Graham. I think that when you heard what Herbert Gareth Southgate said about the uh, atmosphere at the Denmark games so that he'd never heard Wembley like that, and given that it is a final, given that almost everyone at that stadium won't have experienced that with the national team before, they will be getting behind them. They'll have a obviously a huge home advantage there there won't be there'll be very few Italian fans I presume just expat um, Italians will be able to attend this one um so yeah I I don't anticipate that being a problem but I I'm certainly not ruling out the loutish behavior of booing the opposite anthem which is just pretty
2: appalling
1: sorry how what capacity full was Wembley for the last game
2: it was definitely more than 60,000 which is what it was meant to be uh was 60,000 and yeah. I but- had a, a good scout round all those and there was n- it was not a third em- empty. Like I don't know what happened, but it wasn't a third empty. Okay, I'm just surprised to
1: hear him say I've never heard it like that when it was a partially full stadium.
0: Well, but also a much more partisan because it's only England fans essentially in there as well. So maybe there's that. Ah, uh, good call. Of it. There
1: we go. Um, there we go. By that the way, my,
0: my cousin, my cousin James Bailey, who's probably listening. Hello. He's a coach at Fulham. He somehow has had a ticket to the Germany game, to the Denmark game, and he just got a ticket today to the final. I don't know how he did it. He He's using voodoo somehow, but good luck to him. He's uh, he's managing to get to all of these games. So he'll be cheering on England as well. I think, Joe, I think we, it remains to come to you for a a prediction because I know that is your true passion on this show
3: Ryan I know how much this means to you this game and and all this stuff so I will make a prediction 2-1 Italy sorry to build you up there and uh, just chop you down <laughs> so you and Graham are going 2-1 Taylor what did you say did you say I did not
1: say I said Harry Maguire goal I yeah I, I have Italy winning I probably I'm rooting too. for England <laughs> but I have Italy winning
0: I am I, of the same opinion, Taylor. I'm rooting for England, and I, it's odd to think of England as an underdog in in a in a final at Wembley Stadium, but that certainly feels the way this one is. And maybe because my expectations are low, I will be surprised, but I don't think so. But we shall see how this one unfolds. Ladies and gents, it looks like we're predicting a narrow Italy win. Uh, let us know in the podcast comments what you think. We'll be back shortly. <laughs> Total Soccer Show, we are back. We are done with that Euro 2020 final preview. Now is the time for us to talk about our favourite players of this tournament thus far. We've arranged them in 11s, as you would see on the field in a team. We're going to go through these gents, uh, goalkeeper, defence, midfield and forward line. Let's start off with our goalkeepers. Um, I'll, I'll get the ball rolling. Uh, I was going to, my nominees included Jordan Pickford, who, you know, all those clean sheets only uh, conceded a a goal and none from open play at this point. Genuinely thought
1: you were joking. Genuinely thought you were joking.
0: I'd say he has had a pretty good tournament, but he's also had a good defence in front of him, and he's jo- uh, he's also Jordan Pickford, um, Lucas of <laughs> Finland. Uh, he saved his only penalty he faced, and oh, according yeah. to CBS Sports. Him. Yeah, yeah, he, he had a good get- and he had a good tournament. He outperformed the XG he faced on his goal by the highest margin. CBS Sports said, so I'm impressed with that. My pick, though, gents, Jan Sommer. Um, mainly because I wasn't expecting him to be uh, so good as he was. And that game against Spain where he had a record 10 saves, where he was 2014 Tim Howard, I thought that was absolutely wonderful. Taylor...
1: Uh, yeah, I agree with you. That that is also my nominee. I had honorable mention to Casper uh, Schmeichel, who I thought had a very big tournament. Not as many like standout highlights, but I think also for what that team went through to have that sort of veteran calm presence in the goal is so important. Uh, so I had him as my honorable mention. But yeah, Jan Sommer. I think was the standout goalkeeper for me. Was reliable for Switzerland. Made the big saves. Came up big in the penalty shootout. At least one of the shootouts. Uh, and I thought was the uh, the standout goalkeeper. So yes, I had him too.
3: Joe, I have. I'm I'm really surprised no one's mentioned him yet. I have Gianluigi Donnarumma, Italy's goalkeeper. He uh, has been one of the best shot stoppers at this entire tournament. He's second best in terms of post-shot expected goals, which is where the ball is, is projected to be in terms of the goal mouth. Uh, he's second best post-shot XG minus goals, which means he's just saving a lot of shots and a lot more than you'd expect him to. Uh, allowed just three goals on on 5.3 post-shot XG. And then also, I don't know if you guys remember, I think it was the Spain game, and I'm just sort of remembering this right now. He claims the ball in the box off of a cross. I'm, I'm very sure it's the Spain game. Yeah. And he goes out and he drives play forward. He sprints to, well, maybe it doesn't sprint, but he runs to the edge of his box Rolls the ball out and he starts the counter-attack that gets Italy on the board in that semi-final. He's just such a well-rounded goalkeeper, good with his feet, good shot stopping. Uh, he's been the goalkeeper of the tournament for me pretty much by far, I think.
2: Mm. Graham, do you agree? I have gone for, we're mentioning a lot of goalkeepers here. <laughs> there was only 24 <laughs> and I think we've mentioned about seven so far. I'm going to add another one into the mix. Uh, one of my honourable mention was Thomas Vachelet. Uh, mm-hmm. This Czech Republic goalkeeper mm-hmm. Thought it a very good uh, tournament But my, my main pick I've gone for Schmeichel Not for any of his performance But for his response To the question no, about uh, How <laughs> How it would mean What it would mean to him To stop England uh, Bringing football home uh, So he gets my pick for that He also had a good A few good games And a few good saves in there
0: he was very good on the field. I'm not so sure about his press conference performances, but that's for another day. Um, let's move on to the back line. How about we talk about full backs, uh, left back and right back. Uh, for my left backs, I was looking at uh, Gossens, um, for Germany, who's very good in that Portugal game. Goal and two assists as well. Uh, mela, um, who was very good at getting up and down the field for Denmark as well. Um, Spina Zola, obviously um, one of Italy's key men, as we established earlier in the show. But for me, Luke Shaw, because... Roberto Carlos. I don't think I need to say much more. He's been pin- he's been pivotal to this England side. Um, so that's my left back pick. Uh, and on the other side, I was thinking about Carl Walker um, f- uh, for the right back for all those you know a- a- attacks that he's done those excellent recoveries that we particularly saw in the Denmark game. But uh, Denzel Dumfries is my pick there, uh, obviously playing in the wing back system um, for for uh, for Holland. But probably the player of the group stage. If you looked at the end of the group stage, he was a standout. It looked like he could have gone on to be the the golden boot at that point. He he helped Holland win three or three games. He was brilliant. So, um for me Dumfries and Luke Shaw. Graham I'll come to you.
2: Yep, so my back four I've gone for uh, Kieran Tierney Andy Robertson Stephen O'Donnell <laughs> and uh, Grant Hanley which is the defensive unit that played at Wembley uh, No, I, I'm getting I'm on uh, Dumfries is in there for me as well uh, Not even Frank De Boer could destroy him uh, Spinazola Zola <laughs> at left back He tried uh, yeah, he tried. Yeah, he tried his best. <laughs> um, Spinazzola. I know he hasn't played every game, but just was he. He was a potential player of the whole tournament until he got injured. Yeah. Uh, Simon Kyer for for Denmark. Um, I think not just his. Obviously, what caught the eye initially with him was the kind of off the field leadership he showed in the. What happened in that in that terrible first game but then also had a, a brilliant tournament on the pitch as well rock solid for denmark um and then my, my other center back i've kind of split it just depending on what happens on sunday so i would either go for Benucci or I'd go for big slaphead himself uh in that final role and whoever uh wins out the the top prize for them won't be the european championship trophy it'll be a place in my team of the tournament very
0: well. I'll I'll, I'll mention my centre backs while we're at it as well. I did have um, uh, Simon Kier and um, Slabhead, as you put it, as my uh, as my honourables. Uh, Simon Kier for literally saving someone's life. I think that certainly um, deserves a mention here. Uh, Laporte, Eric Laporte, I think was gets into mine. Um, and another stat here I found from CBS. He's carried the ball forward uh, two hundred. Two thousand three hundred eighty-six progressive yards towards goal. No one else at the tournament advanced it more than fifteen hundred. That sounds a lot. It does sound a lot, doesn't it? And it sounds. Is, are it you sure
2: that's not my, along the same lines of my "there's two hundred and fifty weeks in a year"? So.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, Laporte, regardless, I think Laporte has been very good and has vindicated his decision to defect from his uh, his nationality of birth uh, for this tournament. And one that I'm, is an outside uh, pick, Willie Orban, for for Hungary, who uh, yeah. you know. Well, that hungry backline. Say what you like about Hungary, but they, that backline was pretty good. They did not, they didn't lose to France. They didn't lose to 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 German, Germany in this tournament. So, and you got to give credit
3: to the backline for that. So, those are my other two centre backs. Uh, Joe, I'll come to you for your backline. Sure. Yeah. So my right back is Kyle Walker, Ryan. You know, he just missed nice. out on on the right back spot for you. Just reads the game so well. He's so incredibly fast, deceptively fast. He's flexible with his positioning. He's been a key part of England's really strong. Overall defensive approach in this tournament. Uh, my left back is Leonardo Spinazzola for Italy, uh, has nine successful dribbles, which is second highest among fullbacks and wing backs, only to uh, Tamale in this tournament. But Spinazzola has a better success rate, so I, I think that that got him over the line for me. Also, just so good at timing his runs over the the left side. I think this is an area where Emerson isn't quite as sharp, and maybe that's just because Spinazzola has played more in that role recently. But Spinatola was so, so good at at timing his runs properly to pull an opposing defender, an opposing right-sided defender out to then create space for Insigne. So so that... That alone and combined with a couple of things so that I just completely contradicted myself. But Spinazzola is my left back <laughs> in this back line. My center backs quickly, Stefan De Vrij for the Netherlands and Harry Maguire for England. Maguire, even though he missed the first two games of this tournament against Croatia and against Scotland, started every game since then just so solid at the back, one of England's best ball progressors, and they don't do a whole lot of of careful ball progressing anyway. But Maguire also, I believe, scored a goal on a set piece in this tournament. Mm-hmm. Just a really strong overall center back, and then with Devry played mostly on the right side of the Netherlands back three, just was a real anchor for them in Frank de Boer's man-marking system. He recovered the ball a ton, chased the ball down, stuck with opposing attackers. His defensive performance, and then also his ability to pass the ball forward. I think I like to look at my actual team as as a team, and I really like Devry and McGuire's ability to move the ball together and and move it into midfield. I like that. Uh, Taylor, all of us
0: have gone for a back four so far. Have you?
3: I
1: have not, and now I'm regretting it. Because <laughs> now I'm like, that would make a lot more sense and I would have more midfield options. But no, I've gone for a back five uh, with Spinazzola as my left wing back because uh, he is probably my breakout player of the tournament, which is saying something about a player who is well-known in his league, but I think just for how important he's been for Italy. And the way I sort of previewed Italy versus England in my mind was what will Italy do without him and how can England sort of capitalize on that player not being there? And I think that speaks of for- volumes about how incredibly important he is for Italy. Uh, and then I had Kyle Walker as my right wing back even though he has not attacked or really played that much right wing back uh, because I think there are so many talented center backs, and I wanted to get him in there somehow. Uh, and maybe this frees him up, but I have him as my right wing back. And then I did have uh, Kyer. It was a choice between him and Andreas Christensen. Christensen can step out into attack, so maybe that would give me more of a midfield presence. But I went for Kyr I went for Harry Maguire, and I went for Bonucci. I thought Bonucci has been excellent. I thought he stepping up and taking that penalty and looking calm the whole way through but then his long ball distribution which I think will be a threat against England if they want to go a little bit more direct his passing range his ability to read and drop off to accentuate for not having the pace that we've already talked about I think he's just so so very good it was a toss-up between him and Chiellini but I've gone Benucci, Maguire, and Kyer.
0: Very nice. Uh, let's move on to the midfield units, shall we? I'll go first with mine. Uh, my, th- I've got a three-man midfield. My three picks are all players, I think, have outperformed, uh, who've looked better than they have with their domestic teams, if that makes sense. I've got Pierre-Emile who I think um, maybe had a bit more responsibility creative-wise and going forward with, uh, with Christi- in, in Christian Eriksen's absence, and maybe that brought a little more out of him. Uh, I've gone for Paul Pogba because he's not playing for Man United and therefore he's pretty sensational. When he has had some, <laughs> I mean, that Germany game, he was just out of this world. And I think he had a few other really, really good performances in this tournament. And uh, my third player is Pedri, who I know is very good for Barcelona, but I thought was, as part of that Spanish midfield unit, which was very, very impressive in the heart of their team, um, I thought he raised his game even more, quite possibly. So that's my three Hjoiberg, Pogba,
2: and Pedri. Graham Rutherford, what do you what do you got? So I've got two of the the same. I've got uh, Pogba and, and Pedri. I actually really feel sorry for Paul Pogba because this felt like it was becoming his tournament, um, where he was just going to be un- the undisputed best player in the whole tournament, and it, the, the 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 whole France's whole tournament collapses just as he scores a goal of the season, a goal of the tournament rather contender in those final fifty minutes or 10 minutes against uh, Switzerland so he's absolutely a pick for me the only difference, you've gone for Heuberg, I've gone for Jorginho, just mm-hmm. as the man who has set the tempo of this Italy team, I've, even though he's had a good 2021 and he was good for Chelsea and Tuchel seems to be getting more out of him, I just feel like this Mancini system really gets the best out of him and I'm seeing more, I, I, I've never been his biggest fan but I, I, I think he has really shown his quality for this Italy team so that's my three very nice. Taylor, what you got? Uh, I also have uh, Jorginho. I think he's been the most,
1: like the other most important player for Italy, second to Spinazzola, but he's the one who, when they did rotate in their final group stage game, he still started and I believe played every minute or close to it. And I think just for how well he fits into what Mancini is asking of him, but then how there are moments when he will sort of carry the ball forward on his own if he doesn't think his team is doing what they need to be, I think he brings a bit more. Uh, variety to what Italy can do because he is so solid and reliable so I had him as his partner I really do have a list of like six players, some of whom have already been mentioned Uh, I feel weird throwing this name in there as high as I have but Granit Xhaka is not a player I thought would be so high on this list but just such an important player for Switzerland on and off the field, the sort of the the pep talked, even when he was suspended and not playing, the way he sort of led that team from start to finish, I think he probably tips it for me. I've really enjoyed what I've seen from Calvin Phillips. I also had Pedri and I also had Thomas Suchek as possibilities there. But I think I might go Granit Xhaka because why not? And I want to annoy, I guess, all of London by going with Jorginho and Xhaka as my two central midfielders. <laughs>
3: <laughs> what a combo. Joseph Lowry. Uh, Yeah, these guys have been said a hundred times by now. Pogba and Pedri, both because it's alliterative and because they're both awesome. Mm -hmm. uh, Just so, so good. Pogba loses the ball to give up the equalizer for Switzerland in that game in the round of 16. But in that game, he had a banger for France to score and and just carved up Switzerland with his passing. And then Pedri, he had the most passes into the final third in this whole tournament. He had the most shot-creating actions and the most goal-creating actions of any player in this whole darn field. He is 18 years old and downright incredible. I would kill for a Pogba Pedri mm-hmm. double pivot in in real life. I don't know that it would actually work tactically, but um, you know, I've got the defensive cover to make it happen.
1: Jump, <laughs> I'm glad you brought up Pogba one more time because I wanted to mention what Graham said that this did feel like it was if it had gone a different way. It was building up to be like the tournament of Pogba. There's oh, that yeah. article that came out about all of the infighting and and the sort of negativity in the French locker room and the player who was most often the kind of go-between between the players and the manager was Paul Pogba. And that was never presented as, like, he was an instigator. He was making things worse. It was always, he put an arm around Deschamps and said, like, hey, I think this is going to be okay. Or put an arm around his, his shoulder and said, like, hey, we need to move. This hotel isn't good enough. And he seemed to be <laughs> building towards the one that was going to be, like, the locker room leader if they had gone far and had a successful tournament. And instead, I think we will be remembered for Rabio and his mother yelling at Kylian Mbappe. blaming Paul Pogba, and the infighting will probably loom larger. But I think he did have a strong tournament, again, on and off the field, similar to Granit Xhaka. Um, I'll
0: also mention my honorables. I also had Jorginho um, in my honorables. I had Granit Xhaka in my honorables. Uh, Of course, I got Adrian Rabio's mom in my honorables for for central (laughs) midfield. (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, Two names that haven't come up, maybe justifiably so, Tony Kroos and Jeannie Wijnaldum. Anyone want to speak for them? I think it speaks to Tony. It speaks to Germany that Tony Gross isn't in this conversation, being even though he is Tony Gross. Any any, any yeah. advances on those names, Joe?
3: Yeah, I win all for me. I really thought about putting his name down, and I think he had an yeah, excellent on- tournament for for the Netherlands. I just kept going back to that one moment, and now I can't remember which game it was. But it's a loose ball in midfield and, and he is just he's just tired. He just can't get to it or, or he just doesn't see it. I don't know. But that play just runs over and over again in my head and I couldn't put him above Pogba or Pedri I mean for that moment and I and I think those two guys just had better tournaments. But he's a great shout as an honorable mention.
2: Okay. Can I mention uh, Renato Sanchez? I think yeah, he probably yep. deserves a mention
3: mm. for how he played. Uh, and I don't
2: I don't know what his position is, but Emil Forsberg is on my list. I don't mm. know whether he's a midfielder or an attacker. Wait for it, Graham. Game. Wait for it. All right, okay. So I will, let's uh, see where uh, Joe has shoehorned him <laughs> in. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) alright gents
0: we've done our goalkeepers we've done our uh, defensive line our midfield if only we had one to two minutes of say adverts where we could think about our forward line Total Soccer Show we have returned we're picking our 11th of Euro 2020 we have reached the forward line I'm going for a front three led by Patrick Schick uh, of the Czech Republic five goals joint top scorer at present um, scored the goal of the tournament who is it against I can't Graham?
2: I will hate him forever. <laughs>
0: <laughs> anyway, as of, uh, of, of the forward, that's, you know, middle number nines, if you will. I think he's uh, he's he's my favourite. Uh, on the left side of him, Raheem Sterling, and I will write. As I say, if uh, both of you, uh, all three of you didn't pick Raheem Sterling in your teams as well. I think he's player of the tournament. I think he's been wonderful for England. And I'm moving uh, Insigne over to the right side um, just for him being Insigne. And brilliant in this Italian team. Um, that's my frontline Sterling, Schick, and Insigne, Joseph Lowry. What's yours look like?
3: I'll start with Sterling. He's on the right for me, which I know is maybe not his best spot for England, but I had to uh, shoehorn Emil Forsberg into my my lineup, as has already been discussed. Uh, Sterling has, as you said, Ryan, just one of the players of the tournament, if not the player of the tournament. He has the most successful dribbles in this whole competition with 18 at a strong 60% success rate. Off-ball movement is so good, he can make those box-crashing runs from the left or, in my team, from the right. Then on the other side, I do have Emil Forsberg. So I'm in a 4-4-2, so I've got Sterling as the right mid and then Forsberg as the left mid. Four goals in this tournament for Sweden, a team that we didn't think were going to be scoring many goals. He's just under Ronaldo and Patrick Schick, as uh, you've already mentioned there with Schick-Ryan. Just so dangerous cutting inside on that right foot, so I had to put him on the left side of my attack with Sterling on the right. Very nice. Graham. how about yours?
2: Two of the, our, our teams are very similar, Ryan. <laughs> uh, two of the same as you, so Sterling and, and, and Schick. Um, and then I've gone for uh, my Italian son on the right side, mm. uh, Federico Chiesa. <laughs> Obviously didn't start the first couple games, uh, but has delivered real individual quality when Italy have, have needed it. Um, so I was actually struggling for, for right-sided uh, options, to be perfectly honest, if I was having Sterling on the left. So Chiesa gets the nod from me.
0: Um are we sweating on Chiesa's fitness at the moment? I think at, at the time of recording he's a, is he a doubt?
2: Yeah. Partner?
0: Yeah. Are we worried yeah, about well, that? he came
2: off in the in the game in the semi-final, so um yeah, it seems it seems like he might be a, a doubt, but I think if he's if he's he's fit enough to actually make it onto the pitch, I think he will he will play. I think he he's become that important to Italy over the course of the tournament. He has indeed. But at
1: least he didn't suffer like the the ignominy of like being subbed on and then subbed off in the same game <laughs> yeah. within like maybe forty minutes of each other. That'd be that'd be too much to have to deal with.
0: Yeah. Odd that um, the world's most desirable player, Jack Grealish, hasn't come up in this conversation yet, by the way. Um and, <laughs> Taylor, how about your front line?
1: Uh, I will not be breaking any new ground here. I have Raheem Sterling on the left. I have Forsberg on the right. I didn't want to move Raheem Sterling over because that didn't work so well last (laughs) game. So I'm going to keep him on the left. I'll have Forsberg on the right. And I had, it it was weird because like there should be a bunch of different conversations to be had about the center forward. And in some ways, I feel like that's been the sort of the least inspiring for me i had like 15 left back options but with center forward i had like two to three it's strange that no one is saying cristiano ronaldo because he is currently the likely one to win the golden boot but i don't even have him i have patrick schick and i'm good with that
0: <laughs> we're good with that too tay tay um joe did you mention the two in your four four two? um <laughs> have you gone big man small man what, what, what are you thinking there
3: I've gone big man, big man, but both big men are uh, very good at doing small man things. I have Karim Benzema uh, as one of my strikers and then Romelu Lukaku as the other. They're not going to win the golden boot. They're both on four goals, which is under Ronaldo and Patrick Schick. But, man, they were both just so good in this tournament. Benzema's touch... For his first goal against Switzerland off of that Mbappe pass where he somehow brings the ball down where it's behind him and then you blink and the ball's in front of him and the ball's in the back of the net, that might be the play of the tournament for me. And just he he elevated this France team uh, a lot over Olivier Giroud in terms of what he can bring to that front line. So so Benzema for me was was definitely going to be in this group. And then Lukaku, flexible in his positioning, so dangerous, especially in the early parts of this group stage, I couldn't leave him out of this team.
0: Very nice. I think we've covered all of our teams now. It's There's a lot of similar ground we've covered there. I think probably the only wild pick that maybe people would disagree with was me putting Willie Orban as my centre-back. Uh, were there any other left-field picks? I'm not
3: sure. Mm. I tried to go chalk. I think I went chalk. <laughs> <laughs> I I was thinking about Adam
0: Zelaya as well as a forward. I don't know why yeah. I'm thinking about Hungary so much, but I thought he he had a very good performance too. I don't know if
1: anyone agrees with that.
0: Yeah. Right. Said, I mean, I think he was, he was definitely recording.
1: like, hey, I'm sure you were. Sorry, yeah. Taylor. No, I was going to say, wasn't he, uh, wasn't he the, uh, the absolute unit? I think he was yes. our first absolute unit of the tournament. <laughs> yeah. So for that reason, I feel like he, he's deserving a vulnerable mention. He The unit of the tournament, Yeah, yeah. There we go, there we go.
0: <laughs> All right, so that's our teams. Uh, why don't we have a little laugh and pick our managers of the tournament so far as well? Uh, I've got a short list of three. I've got uh, Vladimir Pekovic uh, of Switzerland, who's got a great record, obviously, leading into this tournament. I, I like the way that Switzerland have played in this tournament. You know, the pressing high when they're out of possession, the wing-backs getting up there. Uh, seems to do well, generally speaking, adapting his formation and his tactics to suit the situation as well. I was very impressed with Pekovic in this Tournament. I've also got Casper Hulamund for obvious reasons because I think everyone's probably going to pick him. But my pick is Sir Gareth of Southgate because look what he's done. Look what he's done. Final in there. That's more I've got to say about that. Uh, Graham, your manager pick.
2: Yep. So I mean, it's it's Casper Hulamund. I, I feel like there's going to there might be a, a common thread here, yep. uh, just the way he completely retooled his team after um, obviously the the emotional damage of what happened in the first game was was massive to overcome, but also he lost his best player for the tournament and how he retooled the whole team and, and not just changed the shape, but kind of gave them a different approach entirely and then managed to reach the semi-finals. So for me, it's undisputed uh, coach, of, coach of the tournament. But I'm also going to give a mention, maybe not that inspired a, a, a choice, but uh, Roberto Mancini, I just think he has built a team that is... Very much. The best thing I can say about Italy, it looks like a club team, which is very difficult in international soccer. So those are my two picks. Very good.
3: Uh, Joe, why did you pick Casca Hillman? Oh, I can't say anything that hasn't already been said. I was tempted by Mancini here. I, I was so close to picking him, especially if he wins that that final on Sunday. But it's got to be Hillman, right? It just it kind of has to be, doesn't it?
1: Uh, I was going to say Mancini, and genuinely Graham just swayed me with the argument of losing your best player, completely kind of retooling, reconfiguring, going at Belgium and causing problems, and then still kind of going on the run they did. Yeah, he's probably deserving. I, I did not realize heading into this game that Italy have not lost in 33 games, which had me thinking... They maybe deserve it, and so does Mancini in terms of the the coaching nomination. But Graham, I think you're right that like though he's got this team playing like a club, he has only had to deal with the Spinazzola injury, which is still big, but not quite the same as losing Christian Eriksen, and certainly not in the fashion that they lost Christian Eriksen. So I think all of that very compelling arguments for Frank
3: de Boer. Well, <laughs> and, and even and even Taylor, I think even if Christian Eriksen was playing in this in this team and that never happened mm-hmm. denmark are in the semifinals of this tournament that's still an incredible accomplishment for for casper Hulman. and so the fact that he gets them there without Ericsson is just i think even more impressive
1: massive
2: yeah MVP. frank Deboer. we got it
3: <laughs> is he the only one who's lost his job so far of this tournament
0: um so.
2: yeah sounds about think,
0: right I, yeah yeah i think so a deserving winner maybe we should revisit this conversation guess, about just
1: yogi low count <laughs>
0: yes true that was voluntary you like pre lost his job yeah yeah Yeah. um yeah fair enough but yeah maybe this conversation about best manager we should revisit on sunday night too because maybe our opinions will be swayed by what happens in the big one uh next topic uh we've got to get to the serious stuff now best kit um i've got two nominations i want to uh, give a shout out to ukraine's away which is the blue with the yellow trim i have a Big affinity for those colours from my domestic team. And I think it's a great kit, and it's also caused some justifiable, uh, well, it's caused some controversy. And uh, uh, more power to them for the little map of Ukraine they have uh, embroidered, embossed. I don't know what the word is. It's a picture of it on the on the kit. Um, and also, I think the winner for me is the Denmark all red that they. Were oh yeah,
2: that's my pick as well.
0: It's just the Hummel kit. It's, it's a throwback, but it also looks really modern. It's just like the half
2: shiny fabric they use it's impossible to get your hands on it I've tried already is it really have you not wa- yep. worn it on OnlyFans yet <laughs> it'll be on there as soon as I, I, I can find it on the, the Danish Hummel site is, is Graham's OnlyFans
1: just Graham like wearing soccer jerseys Winnie the Pooh style don't is that what it is, like is it, it just jerseys know. and nothing
2: else <laughs> yeah
1: don't pretend like you don't subscribe Great. I'm a miser I'm not paying for that <laughs>
0: Graham refers to it as Donald ducking when he wears his shirts like that. By the way, No,
1: my mistake, Donald ducking, of course.
0: Uh, any other kits for you, Graham?
2: Um, this is uh, people weren't as keen on this one, but I really liked the the France home kit. I think maybe because France '98 was the first tournament that I was really um, aware of, I guess, and and obviously the France during that tournament wore a classic. Uh, blue as is, is France tend to wear, but it's, it was a, had like a red stripe across it, and mm-hmm. so even though I get why pe- maybe people don't like this France, France kit because it is slightly darker than is traditional, but the red stripe makes it for me. So um, that's not. I mean, it's clearly for me, it's clearly Denmark's. So it's the best of the whole tournament. The all red one, which by the yeah. way, they own, that wasn't even the. That's like a limited edition. They only wore it for two games, and, and their actual home kit was slightly different, which is peculiar huh. but um yeah the france one oh and the uh, finland as well i like the finland there one. we go that's nice that's my man so that i've um, gone for finland that denmark shirt's going to
0: be like that Borussia dortmund all black one they did which was also quite impossible yeah. to get your hands on and maybe yeah. a similar colourway in some ways uh Tay, are you thinking denmark too
1: no, I went Finland. That okay. Finland home shirt is so great. I like the off-center kind of the 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 cross there that's up by the shoulder, but then the the royal blue into the dark blue that matches the flag coloring a bit. I, I, I'm all in on the uh, the Finland home, and even kind of the Finland away. Though I think since it's the same kind of color scheme and rough look, I would go Finland home as my home shirt, and the France home shirt as my away shirt.
0: Nice France home as your away. Got
3: it, Joe. <laughs> I've got the all black Germany away shirt on here. Oh, I, yeah. I like that one a lot. Yeah, Very nice. sleek. And then I'm just a sucker. I'm just a sucker for the classic Croatia checkerboard look. Um when they when they brought that out in this term. It's just so good and it's so iconic and I, I love it, Ryan. I really love it.
2: The only thing about the Germany, sorry, I'm going, this is, I could do a whole podcast on this, I'm going deep in the weeds here, but the the Germany all black kid, if you buy that, it's black numbering on it as well, um, which makes it look even better, but obviously the referee on the pitch needs to see the numbering, so it was white during the tournament, but Hmm. the black numbering makes it even better.
0: Yeah, but somewhat impractical, as you say there, Graham. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, definitely. (laughs) Um, Oh, those are excellent choices. My worst kit, by the way, for the record, the Italy, Italy, um, the white away shirt, which just looks like, I don't know, it looks like a knockoff. I don't like it. Not a
2: fan. That was basically all all the Puma away shirts were followed like the same template. So like Switzerland and Austria. Was like that as well where they didn't even have the badges on it they just had the name of the country written out like Puma had run out of time like they'd got to like late May and went ah we've got to do away kits as well yeah. or, or like some some lazy uh, designer hadn't hadn't done their job and so yeah. they just churned those out they had vibes of
0: Sunday night 10pm doing your homework definitely definitely <laughs> yeah. for that one um, okay, one last thing I wanted to get at you guys, and you don't have to have an answer for this if you don't want to, the best and worst stadiums. It's difficult to say because none of us have been to these stadiums during this tournament, although, Graeme, you did have one virtually in your backyard. That's um right. Best stadium for me is Parken, the uh, Denmark yes. Stadium, just because of the way it's set up, classic, you know... Four stands without the corners and the fans really close to the field. And obviously that tremendous Danish home support as well. Uh, For me, the worst ones were Baku because it's thousands of miles away from everybody and it had a running track and it didn't seem to have much atmosphere and it was hard for fans to get there. And Seville because why on earth did they use that stadium? And it was by far the worst playing surface as well. Um,
2: Graham, stadium thoughts? Best stadium is parking, for all the reasons that you said. It's also within walking distance of Copenhagen City Centre, which I always think makes a difference to a, a stadium. Nice. Um, one stadium that is not within walking distance of the city centre, which is my worst stadium, is Hamden in Glasgow. You might be surprised. I think I think people outside Scotland think that Scottish people see Hamden as this beloved home of, of football, and that is true to a certain extent. There's a there's a history to it, obviously. But Scottish football fans do not like Hamden. It is you know Baku might be in Asia, but at least their stadium looks quite cool. Uh, have you seen the rusted metal on the roof of Hamden? It's like looking at the underside of a train. It's absolutely abysmal. <laughs> and the other thing you mentioned there, Baku has the running track. Do you, the weird thing about Hamden right is it's got this running track round the outside of the pitch, except it's not a running track. It's just an area that they couldn't be bothered to do anything with. So when the 2014 Commonwealth Games were here, they had to rebuild the ground floor, if you want to call it that, of the stadium for a running track. It's not big enough for a running track, so it's nothing. It's just dead ground around the side of the pitch, and I hate Hamden so much, and they need to rebuild it, and it's my worst stadium of the tournament.
0: Uh, Taylor Rockwell, um, I'll come to you. I think your house is on fire and you need to head off soon, but uh, stadium thoughts?
2: You are correct.
1: Uh, Not the fire part, but the needing to leave part. Uh, Yes, I agree with what everyone has said. I vote Denmark. I did not enjoy Baku.
0: (laughs) I'll say goodbye to you at this point, Taylor. We love you very much. Bye-bye.
1: Right back at you guys. Uh, Talk
3: to you all Sunday.
0: All right. Thank you, Taylor, Uh, who had to run off there. Joseph Lowry, let's get you on the stadiums real quick.
3: Oh, Ryan, I'm very partial to stadiums with with grass and lines on the field and and goals (laughs) especially such that the game can be played. Beyond that, uh, I will leave the stadium so opinions to... not Seville, to, <laughs> Yeah, not, not Seville. If, I guess if I have to pick one, I'll go with not Seville as my, uh, my worst stadium, and I'll leave the best stadium to you, gentlemen, which I think you All guys right. have expertly picked. Stunning insight. I'm glad
0: I, I waved Taylor off before you got to say that, <laughs> Joe. Thank you very much. Um, uh, that, that just about wraps up our show, though. Uh, for, for, for the meantime, Joseph Lowry, thank you very much for joining us tonight.
3: Thank you, Ryan.
0: Graham we will be back to talk about the final and two of your favourite teams very shortly
2: (laughs) good luck Ryan for Sunday
0: oh thanks
1: bye